grass withers, flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this morning to study in the word of God. We are continuing on with a section in Romans chapter 15 that we began to take a look at on Wednesday night. This is all part of our review of the book of Romans. We are in chapter 15 now. We started looking at a section, verses 13 and 14, and we were going through a series of passages on the one another concept on Wednesday night when we ran out of time. So what we'll do this morning, uh, we will pick up with where we left off, but we'll do a quick review of what we looked at on those verses and then pick up where we left off with the one another passages. Before we do any of that, let's take a moment for silent prayer. We do need to ensure that our hearts are prepared for the study of the Word of God. This silent, ter- silent prayer gives us the opportunity to confess sins if necessary so that we might be filled with the Spirit. But also, it's really important that when you have this time to quiet your mind, set aside the distractions of our daily lives, and humble ourselves before the eternal truth of God's Word, shall we pray? Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because your word is truth. And in this world, the definition of truth has become completely distorted. The idea that each person has his own truth is a lie from the pit of hell. And we live in this dark world that is trying to confuse everyone. And we're thankful for your word, for that truth that is a guiding light, helps us to see where we are really supposed to be and how we are really supposed to view the world. We ask this morning as we continue our review in the book of Romans that you would help us to focus our attention on what it is that your word is going to teach us so that through the ministry of that word, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things. In his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. Well, all right, let's take a look at what we started looking at. Again, this is all part of a discussion about the church, which began in chapter 12. Remember, we had a discussion about Israel in chapters 9 through 11. But now we have a discussion about the church. And we hit verses 13 and 14 on Wednesday night. Now may the God who gives hope fill you with all joy. And peace in believing so that you will be enriched with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also have become convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, having been filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. We started looking at some principles with regard to this. First, we're saved by grace through faith and we should walk by grace through faith. Very important. We walk the same way we were saved by grace through faith through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, of course, two of those verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is our scripture memory verses of the week this week. Colossians 2, 6 and 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we took a look at as we have received him, so we are to walk in him. We're born again to a living hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 talks about that and can be made rich 
in hope through the Spirit, Romans 5, 1 through 5, yielding joy in anticipation of the gracious fulfillment of our hope, Romans 8, 4, 24 and 25, and 1 Peter 1, 13. Now remember, hope we'll call, hope in the, in the New Testament is confident expectation, right? So we, uh, we're born again to a living hope, a confident expectation that's supposed to be a living expectation. We can be made rich in that confident expectation through the Spirit, which then yields joy in our lives in anticipation of the gracious fulfillment. Because remember, we have an expectation, but if we have an expectation of something, that means it hasn't yet come about. And so we are looking forward to the fulfillment of those things that we are hoping or confidently expecting to happen. Although the believers in Rome needed to be established in their faith... We saw that in chapter 1 of Romans, Romans 1, 8 through 12. They were full of hope, joy, peace, and goodness, and they were able to admonish one another. This is really important to understand that the idea of needing to be established in the faith, all of us need that. We talked about this on Wednesday night. All of us need to be established in the faith. You say, well, I've been a believer for X number of years, and I feel like I'm already established in the faith. Well, good for you. I'm happy for that. I'm glad you, you are a student of the Word of God. I'm glad that you have received instruction and have learned things from the Bible and have come to a place where you feel like you are established. But the reality of it is all of us need establishing in the faith because it doesn't matter if we have gotten to a place where we're doing really well uh, according to Paul's admonishments in various places in the Scripture. We need to excel still more. And uh, establishing ourselves in the faith is, a, is an ongoing project. God is doing that. He's establishing us in the faith. And it's an ongoing project because there's areas where you are potentially going to be tripped up. And the adversary knows that. So uh, the idea of being established in the faith is something that we all need. And, of course, this church needs to be established in the faith. The church at Rome needed to be established in the faith. And so on. So we, we understand that they did need to be established in their faith. And it was probably even more of an issue in the early church, if you think about it, because many of these churches did not have all of the uh, epistles that had been written. In this case, they certainly didn't have the epistle of Romans because Paul hadn't written it yet. So uh, they needed to be established in their faith. And the book of Romans does quite a good job of doing that. This is one of the reasons why it's such an important book to study because there's so many doctrines of the faith that come from or are uh, reiterated, if you will, in the book of Romans. And so this is an important concept to keep in mind. Don't ever think that you've arrived. Don't ever think that you've arrived because the moment you think that, look out. You are now uh, in trouble and ready to be targeted by the adversary. Of course, we're always being targeted by him, but that's a that's a place where he feels like he sees weakness when you feel like you've been established and you've arrived. The ability to minister to one another within a local assembly is important for the growth of the entire body. We looked at that in Ephesians 4:14 4, through 16 and in Colossians 2:18 and 19. Very important concept that the uh, pastor of course teaches the word of God. Uh, that's one of his primary roles in the local church is to teach the word of God. And the pastor also will admonish and rebuke as part of the teaching of the word and as part of the shepherding ministry that he has. But it is imperative that 
uh, in a local church, everyone within the local church has the capacity to admonish others in the church. The reason why that's important is because, as I mentioned on Wednesday night, I know this is going to come as a shock to some of you, but uh, your pastor is monopresent. I only exist in one place at one time. And so because of that, it's impossible for me to be everywhere as God is and to observe everything that happens and to be uh, uh, completely aware of every situation that might be going on. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate it when I am informed and I'm able to <clears throat> engage in prayer for different things that might be going on in the local church, but the reality of it is I only know so much and I am limited in my ability to understand, but God did not design the local church to work in such a fashion that only the pastor uh, comes alongside and admonishes uh, others in the local church. It's supposed to be an activity that's part of everyone that is in the body of believers in a local church. Now, always, you know, I'm going to emphasize this as Paul does and as John does and others in the scriptures, always in the sphere of love. Admonishing a brother or sister in Christ should be done in love, and uh, it should be something that you are, that you feel like you're called to do. It's something you should, should, you should do prayerfully, but at the same time, it is an activity that should be, <clears throat> it should be everybody within the local church that is participating in that activity, and that's emphasized here in these two verses in Romans. <clears throat> then we started looking at one another. Uh, passages fulfilling the one another admonishments in the New Testament is indicative of a healthy local church. There's a whole bunch of passages in the New Testament that talk about one another activities and where is the best place uh, to function in one another capacity. It is within the body of a local church. That's the best place of all to be able to have interactions with one another. Right? Are you going to have interactions with other believers? Certainly you are. I hope so. <laughs> so I hope that it's not just limited to this local church. But at the same time, this is the best place of all uh, to be involved in one another activities. And we started looking at this. We made our way all the way through the Ephesians passages, I believe, is what we went through. Uh, so we went through Romans 12.10, Romans 12.16, Romans 13.8. Romans 14, 13, and 19, Romans 15, 5, 7, and 14, Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 11, 33, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, Galatians 5, 13, and 6, 2, Ephesians 4, 2, and 32, and Ephesians 5, 21. And we looked at one another, and there were a lot of one another concepts mentioned the idea of loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another, so on and so forth. Uh, we looked at some passages where we saw the idea of greeting one another with a holy kiss. Of course, that was, a, that was something that was an activity of the time. It was a way of showing affection and welcoming someone. Um, or even might, it might even be used as a, me a method for sending someone off on a journey or something. Uh, but we we don't do that to these days, so I don't expect you to come up and give me a holy kiss, but we shake hands and we hug and we do those sorts of things, and that's the way we show affection for one another, and that's the application of these things today. Philippians 2.3 says, 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or inflated self-worth, but with humility of mind, think of one another as more important than yourselves. Look what verse 4 says. Do not merely give consideration to your own personal interest, but also the interests of others. So think about that. Think of one another as more important than yourself. It's a thinking idea. When I think about you, I think about you and put your interests above my own. It's not that I don't think about my own personal interests, but also your interests as well. Think of one another as more important than yourselves. Can you get me some water? So again, now in Colossians 3.9, stop lying to one another since you stripped off your old sin nature with its sinful activities. Now, this is an admonishment here, the idea that there is activity already taking place, lying to one another. So think about this in terms of the effect that something like this can have. Thank you. The effect that something like this can have on a body of believers. If you have believers that are engaged in, a, in the activity of lying to one another, well, at that point, you're going to end up with all kinds of problems arising within the local church. Because, first of all, if you're in, in the, in the, um, <laughs> engaged in the activity of lying to others, now one of the things that's incumbent upon you is to, uh, what's the right way to say it? Uh, Remember your lies and continue to support your lies, right? If you're always telling people the truth, it's real easy, right? Because all you got to do is keep telling people the truth. But if you lie to others, now you got to sort of keep your own little uh, record of what lies you've told and make sure that you continue those lies and so on and so forth. And almost inevitably, they're going to be found out. And when a lie gets uncovered, then what does that do? A break in trust, if you think about it, if, let me give you just a simple example. If, you know, if I were to just flat out lie to you and it was discovered that I was lying to you, there's a break in trust there. And then now what happens to my teaching from the pulpit? Do you really, what, my credibility is ruined really, isn't it? In a lot of ways. Well, that's true of, of all of you. If you lie to one another, it's, you know, it's important, for example, with uh, spouses, not a good idea to lie to your spouse. That's going to create turbulence within the marriage. Well, lying among the body of believers within a local church creates turbulence in the local church. It's just the way it, it's the way it goes. It's a bad idea lying to one another. So we've seen a lot of instruction in this on one another idea about things that we're supposed to do. This is a prohibition here. Lying to one another is something we should not do. Yes. Interesting question. Uh, does lying come within the within the sphere, if you will, of flattery? Or is, I would say it the other way, other way around. Does flattery fall within the sphere of lying? I guess it depends if it's insincere. If it's insincere flattery. 
um, you know, at that point, you're really, I, you know, you're almost doing some kind of a false concept of building somebody up. And flattery usually leads to, you know, arrogance rather than uh, building someone up. But, yeah, I suppose flattery could fall into that category if it's insincere. I mean, if you're not genuine, if you're not genuinely talking about, you know, I mean, for exa- there's a big difference. Like if someone walks up to to me after after a Bible class and says, wow, that was really good. I really appreciate what you taught there. You know, if it's if that's genuine, then there's that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if somebody comes up and says, you know, they they think I'm the. Well, first of all, if somebody walked up here and said they think I'm the greatest pastor that they've ever they've ever had, first of all, I know they're not telling me the truth. <laughs> I know better than that. But uh, but but you know, what are you really doing when you're being insincere about that sort of thing? You're falsely building somebody up, and that's going to create trouble. So I guess it could. Yes. You know, it takes me to the the, uh, the synagogue where the Pharisees come in. Oh, you look so wonderful today. You're beautiful. Well, oh, here, sit on the first row. Uh, well. You say the Jesse, you you, you say the Pharisees and that, of course James talked about the idea of the you know giving people the preferred seats and then others not but that's a big part I, I hate to say it but I I know people honestly I know someone I've got in mind right now that stopped going to um, I'm going to call it one of the Catholic light churches it's not a Catholic church but one of the Catholic light churches. Um, because they realized all it really was about was people showing up and trying to make an impression, right? And everybody was showing up dressed up and doing all these different things, and they just wanted to try to make an impression on one another. And it was kind of, it was kind of empty. There wasn't even there wasn't any real true uh, worship or study of the Word of God or anything at the church. And so he he left that church and went and found a church where the Bible was being taught. <laughs> he didn't want to be part of a church where it was all just uh, kind of a show. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, so so flattery is an interesting thing because you got to be careful with flattery in the sense that if someone has an issue with pride, then you don't you want to be careful about doing that sort of thing because you might you know you might be a stumbling block. But yeah, when 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 you exaggerate things, that's when that's when it becomes an issue, right? Because that's when it's really the falls into what Connie was talking about. That's where it becomes a lie. You're really exaggerating, and it's not really true anymore. Any kind of lie. Yeah, any kind of lie would fall into that category. Yeah, it's being insincere, telling a lie. But, I mean, it falls in any category. I mean, if you, if you, if you, if, for example, if somebody doesn't, I'm just going to use a, you know, a current event type thing. If somebody did not come to the ladies' Bible study yesterday morning and you ask them about it and they lie to you about it, why, you know, if they give you a lie about why they weren't here, what, what, what does that do? What it's not that's not there's nothing beneficial about that. It's better for them to just tell you the truth uh or just simply say I just I couldn't be there or something like that. But if they lie to you and you find out about it, then you're going to know somebody is you know not not being straight with you and that's a big deal. So I mean lie it's lying of all forms, which includes exaggeration and insincerity and all those sorts of things. <laughs> Any kind of a lie can be destructive. 
Uh, Colossians 3.13 also has a, a one another concept, the idea of putting up with one another. And I, I love the language of that. It says, putting up with one another and graciously forgiving each other, whoever has a valid reason to complain against anyone in the same way that the Lord graciously forgave you, you should also, you should forgive others also. Because are we always going to be 100% in lockstep in terms of how we approach things or I mean, I, we're not. I mean, even even though we are all, I've been, I believe as I look around this room and as I look around, I think about the believers that are part of this church. You know, I see fantastic like-mindedness in terms of our faith. But are we always going to be 100% in lockstep? I mean, for example, there may be, and you don't, by the way, don't raise your hands and tell me about it right now. Now is not the place for it, but... <laughs> There may be things about the way I lead this church or the way I teach the Bible classes or other things that I do that you don't really care for. But that's all part of it. You're never going to find someone who fits perfectly every exact thing you're looking for. Uh, so there is an aspect of putting up with others, right? You, you know, I tell stories and you've heard them six times now and you'll hear them a seventh time probably uh, and maybe you don't enjoy that. Maybe you're like, I've heard this story before. Well, let's put up, just go ahead and put up with that. Because if you feel like that you're benefiting from the teaching of this ministry, then put up with the fact that I tell my stories over and over again. That's what I'm saying. So I love that language of putting up with one another because it really involves saying, you know what, I'm sure part of it is a humility aspect. Because part of it is saying, you know what, I bet, I'll bet you anything I do things that annoy other people and they have to put up with me. Uh, I know for sure I do things that annoy my wife, and she has to put up with me. <laughs> I don't even have to think about that. <laughs> but, uh, but so the reality is if there's things that other people do that annoy you, remember, you do things that annoy them as well. It's, just, it's a humility factor in putting up with others. So it's important to put up. We have to, we have to learn to do that in a body of believers. First Thessalonians 3.12 and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. But notice what it says, and for all people, just as we also do for you. So I think in the way I see this happening in the spiritual growth process is we, we begin to have love for other believers and That that comes from you know the, the shared faith that we have. It comes from uh, I think it comes from a sense of uh, you know you feel like you're among you're among friends rather than among the enemy, right? When you're around other believers, and I think what really starts in that process is you begin to have a Philadelphia kind of love, a brotherly love for fellow believers, but then ultimately that needs to grow into agape, which I'm pretty sure this is, it is, agape love for one another, which is now a love that's not based on a kinship, but a love that's based on the integrity of your own soul, the, where you are in terms of being able to look at others and love others, and that's why that love can then extend even on to unbelievers so i'll give you a really challenging example 
Um, <laughs> current event again. Uh, just recently, there was a young lady, Riley is her name, and she formally, I believe, competed in women's athletics, and she is outspoken about the idea that men should not be able to compete in women's athletics. It doesn't matter if they identify as a woman. It's a man, and they should not be able to compete in women's athletics, and a whole bunch of protesters uh, were coming up to attack her to the point where they had to take her off and put her in a in a room and protect her to keep her safe from the protesters. We should love those protesters. See, what is the immediate thought that comes to mind? Probably anger and disgust and hatred and other things, but the reality is we should love them because those protesters are lost. Those protesters are confused. Those protesters are... Uh, they're brainwashed, and they are, and they are enemies, enemies of God. Even though they might not even might not even acknowledge God, they might not um, understand what they're doing is is an affront to believers and a front and an affront, more importantly, an affront to God, an abomination before Him. So. Uh, we instead of looking at them and having hatred for them, admittedly, we should see what they're doing is wrong. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong about that. We we should see what they're doing is wrong. But at the same time, we should have love for them that they need. What they need is to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they need to become true disciples of Christ. And if they did, they would see things very differently. So that's a hard one to do, right? I'm not saying what I'm. I'm not saying this is easy. But that's what we should be able to do is to increase and abound in that kind of love for one another and for all people. Yes. Yeah, when somebody, uh, Jesse pointed out that when somebody, everything that you see them doing is evil, it's really difficult. And uh, that's where I think it takes time and it takes growth to be able to look at what they're doing and then get to a place where you can say, yeah, but, and Lord, and a lot of the times the way love is expressed in that situation is, is that you pray for them. Yeah, look at, the, look, at the, look at the people around Jesus when he was on the cross. Yeah, look at the people that were, the crowd that was around Jesus when he was on the cross. I mean... Reality of it is we need to be able to come to a place in our spiritual walk where we can love these people and pray for them. I think I think we're seeing a rise in persecution. This is significant, this next verse, because it talks about this concept I was just talking about. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. If if we're taught by God to love one another, then what does that mean? It means that it's not something that comes naturally. Well, and it's not optional either, right? That's true. But it, but the idea that we have to be taught means that in our fallen estate, we don't naturally do this, do we? 
we have to be taught to do this, and you're right. If, if it's something that God is teaching us, then Bobby's right. This is not optional. It's something we're supposed to do. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, so we should be able to get to that place in our spiritual walk that we can love one another and have love for all people, as we saw earlier in the chapter. Later on in this same chapter, uh, therefore comfort one another with these words. So we are supposed to comfort one another. Now in this particular case, before I rewind the uh, Bible here, does anybody know what is being talked about in First Thessalonians chapter 4? Comfort one another with these words. The rapture. That is correct. It says, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, so this is a comforting message. The idea that it doesn't matter if you're alive when the rapture happens or if you die first, that you will be part of the rapture event. It's very comforting to know that. I think it is anyway. It's comforting to know that we'll all be together as part of that body, as one, going up to meet the Lord in the air. But there's a general principle here about comforting one another. And uh, again, it's as appropriate. You know, there's, there's things that are comforting that we learn from the scriptures. And we should comfort one another with those ideas. Should we, should we uh, extend a hand of comfort in a situation where someone has uh, gone off course? And, excuse me, and uh, having gone off course, uh, they need guidance back to the the correct path at that point. I, mean, I think if you comfort them in that situation, you're kind of encouraging them in their in their error, and that's not a good idea. So when this talks about comforting one another with these words, it's talking about the biblical picture of the rapture happening, and that's a comforting thing to to tell one another. So we should comfort one another again as appropriate. And it and in this passage we just had from Romans says we're supposed to admonish one another. That means. There's times to comfort and there's times to admonish. One second. Um, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're also doing. This, this one actually, before we get, get to your question, this, this actually builds on the idea of that because we're supposed to build one another up. And if that can come through in, uh, comfort, encouragement, um, admonishment, uh, a lot of different ways that you can build, build others up. And that's something that we're supposed to be doing. Yes, sir. Yeah, so when the trumpet sounds, you can. You can admonish with the concept of the rapture as well because we, we don't know uh, when it's going to happen. Uh, even though some people have tried to predict it, it's not a good idea. We don't know when it's going to happen. Um, some people, I've heard, believe it or not, I've heard some people, and, and they're not really trying to predict it, but some people have thrown out the idea that it's going to happen. See, I believe we just recently had uh, the anniversary of the crucifixion on April 3rd, even though 
you know, Good Friday obviously wasn't April 3rd, but um, this year, but April 3rd, and it's almost 2,000 years, and I, I, I read somebody wrote that they, they think that maybe the rapture will happen in three years because then that way uh, the tribulation will come shortly thereafter and last for seven years, and then it will be 2,000 years, uh, you know, from the uh, 2,000 you know, years from the crucifixion when Christ will then return uh, at the second advent. Well, I mean, they were just throwing that out there as an idea. They weren't actually trying to predict it. It was more. It was actually more in the in the vein of, wouldn't that be kind of cool if it happened three years from now, and then the tribulation goes for seven years, and then it's two thousand years from. Part of the problem with all of that is you're, we are we are, we measure our years by the Gregorian calendar, and the prophecy in the in the uh, Bible is done by the Jewish calendar of three hundred and sixty day years. So you got to figure that in there and. So that means it actually should have should have happened already. But anyway, but you know what, the thing is, let's not let's not do that. But what what we have, what Tom was talking about, is the ability to admonish with the raptures. You can say, look, we don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen at any second. And don't you want to be found when he when that trumpet sounds? Don't you want to be found a good and faithful servant? Isn't that how you want to be found? Is that way? Wouldn't you rather be found that way than? having to cover your eyes and hang your head because, of course, we, you know, you're still going to be part of the rapture, but the idea is you don't want to be, you know, found carnal at the time. <laughs> Verse 15 of that same chapter says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. See, I think, of course, within the body of Christ, seeking after that which is good for one another, isn't that also the, the same idea as keeping others' interests in mind and trying to seek after that which is good for others? Uh, of course it is. And, but then it says, and for all people. See, I believe that's in the context of a witness to unbelievers. Because if, regardless of how they treat you, if you're always seeking after that which is good for other people, then that's a witness. They may not like it at the time, but nonetheless, it's still going to be a witness because you're showing your character, your, your Christ-like character in doing that. Interestingly, um, you know, you, you, try, you try to find situations where it's it's real straightforward, but it, it can be it can be a challenge to know what to do in different situations, as far as what's good for all people. But a kind word, you know, can be something that makes a big difference. Um, you know, sh- showing somebody that you care can be something that makes a difference. Uh, there's all kinds of things that can be done, but in you know, there's certain situations are a little bit more difficult than others. But we should. Seek after that which is good for one another. Second Thessalonians 1.3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Notice that language. It grows. Because it's a, being able to love with agape love is something that is part of the spiritual growth process, and it doesn't happen all at once. 
is something that we have to grow and become become better and better at, and uh, the love will grow greater as we mature in the faith. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, often we think of this passage when we come to this, you know, this is that famous passage, Hebrews 10.25, which says, not forsaking our own assembling together, and that's, you know, the gathering of the believers at the church. But we often look at this one and we think of it in terms of stimulating one another to good deeds, right? Stimulate one another to do good deeds, truly good deeds, right? Divine good, not human good. Um, but this, this verse says love and good deeds, doesn't it? To love and good deeds. So we're supposed to be stimulating one another not only to do good deeds, do divine good, things that are pleasing in the Lord's sight, but also stimulating one another to love. And uh, given that we just got done studying it in the book of Romans, I think it's important to bring in the idea that Romans 14, we just got through looking at that, if you are a stumbling block to another believer, are you stimulating them to love? I would say no. You're stimulating them to sin, (laughs) right? You are a stimulus for sin rather than a stimulus for love. And good deeds. So we want to be we want to be able to find ways to encourage and stimulate others to love and good deeds. James four eleven says, "Do not speak." This is a prohibition. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the, the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Verse twelve. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? You know, who, I, I, it, the, I translated it this way, but who are you? But really what the, the gist of this is, what James is really saying is, who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are judging your neighbor? Um, but we're not supposed to speak out against one another. And this is, this is um, confrontational language, speaking out against others. Uh, it's not just, it's not just, uh, it's not really what's, what he's <clears throat> talking about here is not really uh, talking behind somebody's back, which it kind of sounds like it could be. But if, if you remember when we taught the book of James, this is talking about face-to-face confrontation. It's you're in your, you're in your brother's face and you're, uh, you're cutting them down face-to-face. That's what we're talking about here. Now, I obviously don't encourage you to speak about others behind their backs either. That's gossip, and that's not a good thing either. But this particular verse is talking about face-to-face confrontation. James 5, 9, stop grumbling, brethren, against one another, so that you might not be judged. Behold, the judge has taken his stand in front of the gate. Stop grumbling against one another. Grumbling against one another. You see, if you're... If you're loving one another and you're putting up, using that language, you're putting up with one another, then you won't be grumbling against one another, right? You won't be grumbling about your brothers and sisters in Christ. A few verses later in same chapter, in verse 16, Therefore acknowledge your sins to one another and pray for one another in order to be restored. The effective petition of a righteous man can accomplish much. This is in a particular context. Praying for one another, I think that's important regardless, right? We should be praying for one another in this local assembly. Um, in, in many cases, by the way, you know of something specific to pray about 
And that's a, that's a kind of a cool thing. But even if you don't, just pray your way through the congregation. I've told you before that, that uh, I don't do it every single time, but a lot of times when I wake up at night and I'm having a hard time going back to sleep, that's what I'll do. I'll just pray my way through the congregation, just lift all of you up in prayer, not, not necessarily knowing about anything, just praying for you. Because I'm praying to an almighty, omniscient God who knows exactly what your situation is. So I can lift it up before him and just leave it in his hands. But the first part says acknowledge your sins to one another. I don't want you to come up to me after class and start telling me about your sins. This is in a context. And the context of this is that there's a a brother or a sister who is struggling spiritually. And they are struggling spiritually because of a problem with sin. And the leadership of the church has come come over to speak with the individual about what's going on, about their spiritual struggles. And what James is saying here is if you're having these spiritual struggles, admit what's going on to the people that are there to help you. Acknowledge that to them. So we don't have, you notice, we don't have any kind of a part of the service where we stop and people stand up and start telling us about their sins. Because that's not what James was talking about here. It's in a specific context. It's important uh, to be open when there's leaders of the church that are there trying to help you. 1 Peter 1.22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls, leading to a genuine love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Wow, now it's an even stronger admonition. Fervently love one another from the heart. You notice a lot of these passages talk about that. 1 Peter 4, 9, being hospitable toward one another without spreading gossip. So you notice there's really two things in this verse, even though the one another is the idea of being hospitable toward one another. But. It also says without spreading gossip. That's that talking about someone behind their back, like I was talking about before. Hospitable toward one another. Well, that can that can actually, by the way, have a lot of different aspects. Um, I think as big of anything, as big of, as an aspect of anything, is just the the way we are welcoming to one another within the context of the local church. That when you see others here at the local church. Uh, you're excited about seeing them and you're welcoming and you're hospitable towards them. It can also be in, involve uh, having people over to your house, uh, going to lunch after church with them, whatever it might be. But a general uh, attitude of hospitality toward other believers, but also not spreading gossip. First Peter 5, 5, in the same way, you younger men be in subjection to your elders and all of you. So... That goes beyond just the younger men, right? All of you put on the attitude of humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Put on the attitude of humility toward one another. I see that in the believers in this local church. I don't see it a lot when I walk out that door. I see people that... um, are driven by selfishness and arrogance. And we have a culture that is fostering that. It's the me, me, me. 
mentioned after church, I think, last week or whenever it was. I can't remember when I talked about this, but uh, I can't remember the exact the exact language of it, and I apologize for that, but it was one of the cartoons on on a website I was looking at, and it talked about that there's not enough... Um, there's not enough faith and worship anymore. And then the second little pain was a picture of a young man looking into a mirror. And around the mirror, it said, me, myself, and I. And uh, the individual said, well, I worship every day. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's the world we live in. But we should have an attitude of humility toward one another. And, uh, and I will tell you, I mean, I'll be... Uh, quite honest about this, that uh, the area where I fail the most is when I lack humility. That's where I fail the most often, is lacking humility. And so that's uh, something really significant, that we should be humble toward one another. Same chapter, a few verses later in verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Uh, Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Now again, I talk about this is that kind of the idea, that holy kiss, kiss of love. Again, it's the idea of being welcoming and greeting, and it's the same thing as that hospitable sort of a mindset. First John 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. By the way, and this fellowship is the fellowship that we have with the Lord, right? The fellowship that we have with God. So this is saying that we have fellowship with one another. Now, it's not given... In the form of a command, it's postulated this way. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But don't you think that this passage is saying we ought to be walking in the light as he is in the light? Yeah, absolutely is. It's clear. So even though it's not phrased in the form of an imperative or something of that nature, the mood or anything else is of the imperative, It is uh, talking about walking in the light so that we might have fellowship one with another. And I think there, I think on my personal opinion is on this earth. There is little that's more beautiful than the true fellowship of the saints. There's something incredibly beautiful about the true fellowship of the saints that you can't. It's not it's unmatchable by anything else. I mean, is the creation beautiful? Yes, creation is beautiful. Uh, are there different things? Are there songs that are beautiful? Yes, there are songs that are beautiful. So and so, you can go through a list of all those things and think of many beautiful things, but I think there's something exceptionally beautiful about true fellowship of the saints. It's just a beautiful thing that God has blessed us with. First John three eleven says, "For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another." You notice that's we've seen tons of those, haven't we? Loving one another. Loving one another. Same chapter, verse 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. What did he, how did Jesus command that we love one another? As he loved us. As he loves us, actually. Present tense. Right? As he loves us. Because he is. We're celebrating the resurrection today. He is. Uh, but you notice, I love this. The way it's phrased here, this is such a beautiful verse. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So there's a revival going on right now. They, people are talking about this revival that's taking place in colleges. And there's, a, there's an event going on right here in Bastrop, by the way. They're having a big event where they're trying to 
get a revival going and so on and so forth. If all you emphasize is the second half of this verse, that we all need to love one another, we all need to love one another. We've got to stop fighting. We need to love one another. And you leave off the first half of that verse, it's not a revival at all. Not a revival at all. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, you've got to be saved. And then, as believers, love one another. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, no, here we go again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You notice, and there's two things right there. If you, in other words, if you can truly love this way, this is what's so important. This is one of those verses that convinces me that agape love is something that believers only can do. Unbelievers can love in a, in a way that seems like that, but the true agape love that's talked about here can only be done by believers. It says, let us love one another, and this is, Agape love for love that kind of love agape love is from God and everyone who loves this way with agape with that um, agape love if you love that way or agapao I think it is actually um, everyone who loves that way is born of God and knows God and what that's saying is not only are you a believer but you're somebody who knows God you're somebody who has a relationship with God a true intimate relationship with God that's how you get to the place where you can love this way. Agapao love, agape love. If you are able to do that, then it's, you, you, ha- you have to be born of God and you have to know God. So there are believers, for example, that don't really have the capacity to love this way because they're, they really don't know God. Verse 11 of the same chapter, Beloved, since God loved us in this way, we ought to love one another. In what way? What way is John talking about in John 4.11? He's talking about the way God loved us in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what he's talking about. Since he loved us in that way, we also ought to love one another. Next verse. I'm sorry, just a second. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can, yeah. Yeah, so I agree with that. So you you loving, not only loving somebody that doesn't like you, but you might have, you might love someone who you don't like, (laughs) right? And so uh, that is agape love is is a love that is, again, it's really important to understand. It's based upon the integrity of your own soul and what God is doing in your own soul. It's not based at all. On the merit of the object, right? The object that you're loving might not have any value whatsoever. When, when God looked upon us while we were yet sinners, and He loved us in that way, were we? Did we have any merit? Did we have any merit whatsoever for Him to love us? No, but He still loved us with that kind of love. So when you love somebody, when you love somebody that you don't like, or they don't like you, or whatever else, or maybe there's nothing about them that you find likable at all. It's because first and foremost, you have a relationship with Christ, born, you're born again, right? So you have a relationship with Christ and you have a love for Christ as well, because that's talking about knowing God and growing in the faith. So you have a love 
for Christ, and you also then have the capacity to have a love for others. Yes, so I agree with what you were saying. Verse 12 goes on to say, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God is abiding us, and his love is being perfected in us. That's, again, the idea that, that, that this love that we're talking about is not something that is natural to us. It's not something that we... we uh, do any of us Do any of us love to the level of what Christ loves? No. But we're growing in that direction, hopefully, right? That's the goal, is to grow in that direction and to be able to... I mean, to, you know, to be able to be hanging on a cross... And be surrounded by individuals that were antagonistic toward him. And to look and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's an expression of love that is is hard to understand. But it goes even further than that. He went to the cross for the likes of you and me. That's a love that's difficult to understand. But that's what we want to strive for, is that kind of love. Hold, uh, yeah, hold on just a second. I'm going to give the last verse, and then you can ask. Second uh, John 5 says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Again, the same language. Yes? You know, if we, if we love people that we dislike, We, it is motivation. So here's what I'll say about what you're saying. So I, I agree with what you're talking about. If, if we love those that we don't like, and we don't, we not only we don't like what they do, we don't like what they say, we don't like what they represent. As uh, Jesse talked about, if, if everything they do seems to be evil and against God, um, if we can love that individual. We can have in mind the idea that if they ever do come to know Christ as Savior, then then we're going to find them as someone that we can maybe have Philadelphia love with, right, brotherly love with. But I will say this in, cl- in closing, that when we love this way, our love for them should be purely from the standpoint of, well, this is not the full picture, but this gives you kind of the idea, fully from the standpoint of, Jesus Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit, God loves this individual. Jesus Christ died on the cross for this individual. They may never come to know Jesus as their Savior. They may end up rejecting Christ and rejecting God, and they may end up bowing at the great white throne and being thrown into the lake of fire. They may never. But they're made in the image of God, and God loved this individual to the point where he sent his son to this earth to be the kinsman redeemer, and Jesus Christ loved this individual to the point where he would go to the cross and die for this individual, and that's enough for me. That's enough for me. But we can have that hope. See, I think that's, that's and in this case, hope is not the idea of the confident expectation, but we can have a hope, a desire that they would come to know God, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that, is, and that can be a motivation for us to express that love. I think that's where I come in on this. Our love, the love that we have in our heart, should be based on the fact that they're made in the image of God and God loves them 
Jesus Christ died for them. But then our motivation to express that love would come from the position of, you know what? Maybe I can be a witness to them and maybe someday they can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's going to be an amazing thing. And am I going to accomplish that by being angry and hateful toward that person? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. And that's, you know, that's really what uh, Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the turning the other cheek. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about loving your enemies and so on. Uh, he was talking about the, uh, the opportunity to be a witness to others. Yeah. All right. Well, we've looked through those one another passages now. And we're going to look then next time. We're going to begin a new section, by the way. If you notice, we're going to begin a new section where we get into the concluding remarks uh, of this letter, which go through chapter 15. And when we get to the end of chapter 15, it kind of looks like it's over, but there's another chapter, chapter 16. Uh, so we have chapter 15, the rest of chapter 15, and then chapter 16 for the concluding remarks. But let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this section that we just completed on looking through the discussion about the church and all that Paul teaches about our, our life that we live today. And I thank you for this, these verses that we've looked at regarding the one another ideas. And there's so much in your word that talks about that, how we are to interact with one another. And that's true. There are many passages that talk about this regarding the body of Christ, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But we also has, have seen these passages that talk about and also for all people. So help us, Father, when we fall short, help us to continue to grow in our faith, to be established in our faith, to continue to grow in our capacity to love even those that we don't like very much. And help us not ever to confuse the idea of that love with approving of their sins or approving of the evil things that they do. We never want to do that. Father, we know that you don't approve of the sins that we commit. But you love us. You loved us while we were yet unbelieving sinners and sent your son to die for us. So, Father, let us grow in our capacity to be able to love others and to be able to be true representatives for and ambassadors for Jesus Christ in this lost and dying world. We pray all of these things in his most precious and holy name. Amen.